Good morning, Salt City. It's so cool to be up here. You know, we drove up. There's four dudes in a Honda Civic. That thing was like riding without shocks, every bump. You know, but one of the stories that as conversations roam around um, with these guys who road tripped with me was um, got into a little bit about my father-in-law and, and preachers that have influenced me. And he's one of them. He led me to Christ my senior year of high school. As I was pursuing his daughter, God used all that to bring me to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked her and she really liked Jesus. And it was weird, but it was okay because I liked her. And, uh, but, but it was in the midst of that, that I came to know Christ and Within eight years, he actually went to be with the Lord uh, from a a rare liver disease. And, you know, in the midst of of that suffering and seeing him die, something happened in my heart that made me want to live for eternity in a way that I can't quite put words to. But it changed me. I feel like there's a clock ticking. I'm done with probably half my life. The, the, The finish line is out there, and I want to run hard towards it. I'm telling you that... Every man and woman I've ever met wants to live for something that will outlast them, wants to live for something that will mean something in eternity. And what you're a part of here at Salt City will mean something for eternity. And I am so grateful that God has pulled you into a vision to be about being a multi-generational church with a next generation focus. And I'm telling you, God is blessing that and using that. And he has you here very specifically to hear from him this morning, but also to be a part of a community that is on the front lines of bringing the hope of Jesus, which is the only thing that will outlast any of us, to a lost world. And you're a part of that. And I'm so grateful just to see this. I've not had a chance yet. And I'm grateful. I'm a pastor from Iowa, um, being one of the dudes that pastor at Candeo Church. And it's so good to be here. So um, I'm going to jump right into things. Um, A few quotes from a couple guys that um, might shock you. You know, one guy, you've seen this guy, Tom Brady, uh, before. 13 years ago, actually, he was in a CBS interview <clears throat> on 60 Minutes. And this legendary quarterback, he says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. You reached your goal, you know, your dream, your life. And he says, me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. And the reporter then asks, what's the answer? And his response was simple. He says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Jim Carrey, who you've seen, famous Canadian-American actor and a comedian, he said it this way. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. The faster you get there, the closer you are to really beginning to live. I added that last part. Anthony Hopkins, in an interview he had with Miranda Sawyer, this famous actor said, you know, I meet young people and they want to act and they want to be famous. And I tell them, when you get to the top of the tree, let this picture be in your mind. When you get to the top of the tree, there's nothing up there. Most of this is nonsense. Most of this is a lie. He's got a few people who've gone as far as they can go within their respective areas of expertise. And they're saying, it's empty. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I've hit a top of a tree. I wish you'd get rich. I wish you'd have everything you want so you could quickly get to the end of yourself and go, we don't know where life is. Men and women 
ourselves full of desire, full of longing, full of a desire for more than just a glib momentary glimpse of happiness, but long-lasting joy, pleasure that would outlast this lifetime, and we can't seem to find it in this life. My wife, if she ever gets a tattoo, she's told me what it's going to be. She says it will be C.S. Lewis's quote that's something like, if I find in me a desire for which nothing in this life could satisfy, the most probable conclusion is that I was made for another life. And this morning, I welcome you into Psalm 84 to find the answer for your greatest soul's longing. And I hope you will enjoy it with me. Psalm 84, we've been teaching through a psalm series at Candeo Church this summer. And I want to take you into this psalm. I'm going to read the first four verses. If you've got a Bible, awesome. If not, probably someone will share. If they don't, just say, you're not acting like a Christian. Come on, you know, and uh, just phones, whatever. Psalm 84, first four verses says this. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of hosts. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow, a nest for herself where she places her young. Near your altars, Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How happy are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. And then kind of off in the footnotes, that little weird word, Selah. I'm going to stop there. First off, who wrote this? You know, Psalms, sometimes they give it away and sometimes they don't. All that we see right before the verses start is this for the choir director, um, and then it goes on to say, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Okay, those were guys that were assigned to this tent, this tabernacle that, that dwelt with God's people, that, that really embodied his very presence with them. And so the, the sons of Korah, they were assigned kind of like guardians of the entrance. So they had a role. And, and one of these guys is, is composing this prayer. A lot of them were put to music. And interestingly, this is how it addresses God in the first verse. How lovely is your dwelling place? Look at this. Lord of hosts, you learn a lot about God based on phrases that are used of him, descriptions. There are tons of them in the Bible. This one's interesting, Lord of hosts. We'll find it not once or twice, not three times, but four times in this Psalm, Lord of hosts is referred to. What does this mean? It's saying that he is the, the, the Lord, the commander of the heavenly host. That is to say that there is an angelic realm that you and I probably won't see in this lifetime that is around us, that is fighting battles, and God reigns over them all. He leads them into, into battle. He, he is the undisputed Lord. He is the divine warrior. So this, this psalm that is going to draw our hearts near in a very affectionate way towards God, he, he is also simultaneously in this intimate, affectionate way saying, when I talk about God, I'm thinking of him as the commander of heavenly armies. You know, this is SEAL Team 6 stuff. You know, this is, this is a God who is undefeated. I, my intimate companion is a divine warrior. And he's going to get that name assigned to him throughout the psalm. So, so it says of him, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of hosts. Now, now, what is meant by God's dwelling place? What are these courts of the Lord that will soon be described in the following verse? Well, like I said, there was a movable tent that God gave specific instructions where they would worship God through animal sacrifice. In fact, there'll be a picture of that up on the screen here in a second. Kind of a, just a depiction of this, this movable tent. And inside the tent, there was a smaller tent. In the very back of it, there was a holy of holies where in some unique way, God's presence dwelt among them. 
You can't contain God in a tent any more than you could contain him in a room. You can't contain him, and yet in some special way, his presence dwelt there. So this tabernacle, this place of worship where they came before God with the, the slaughter of animals, blood, the, the idea that, that their death was, was for our sins to cover our sins, this was a place of worship. And this is where this guy wanted to be. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of hosts. And look at how he describes this. He says, I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. Now, this tabernacle wouldn't last forever. In fact, they would go on to build a temple. Check this out. Just a, a rendition of what that temple would look like. So this thing got bigger and more permanent. There are only now the foundation stones of the temple if you go back to Jerusalem, if you've had a chance to visit that land. So, so still you got the foundation stones in Jerusalem. But, but all to say, this guy, he wanted to be at the tabernacle not because of what was there, but because of who was there. Make no mistake, listen to these words. They are like words from a love letter. He says, I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. Just choose a word. Either one would have worked. I long for the courts of the Lord. Got it. I yearn for the, got it. You don't need both. My wife, sometimes when I tell stories, go wrap it up. Wrap it up. You're talking too long. Twice under the table, I got a nudge, you know, within the last week, like, shut up. You know, it's time to just simplify. But this guy can't. He says more than is needed. And people who are in love talk like that sometimes. There's not enough emoji in the world. There aren't enough gifts that have been created. Like, they just go on and on and on about that's what we're hearing. I long, I yearn for the courts of the Lord. What, do you have an obsession with a house, with a temple? No, no, no. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. See, that's what he wanted. He didn't want the temple with all of its gold, all its impressive stones and all the, the curtains, all the objects. No, no, no. He wanted to experience the living God. This man was thinking rightly. That the longings, the passions, the desires, the drives of his soul would be found not in this lifetime, not in him, and not in her, and not in that job, and in that home, and just that vacation, just get around the corner, just get that money, get that thing paid off, then you'll finally be able to get the, no, no, no. He is obsessed with a full heart being found in the living God. He longs, he yearns. He desires a living God. So his words are full of passion. He's crying out for it. Now, what would that look like? I, uh, one guy from a few hundred years ago named Jonathan Edwards, maybe you've heard that name, an amazing pastor and theologian. He actually, at the age of 20, heard of a girl who was 13 years old and her walk with God. Now, that, that's kind of weird, but they married young back then. But he heard about this gal who was just 13 years old. Her name was Sarah. And this is what distracted Jonathan from his studies as he heard about this person. It says of Sarah Edwards, they say there's a young lady in New Haven who is loved of that great being, who made and rules the world, and that there are certain seasons in which this great being in some way or other invisible comes to her and fills her mind with exceeding sweet delight, and that she hardly cares for anything except to meditate on him. 
You could not persuade her to do anything wrong or sinful if you would give her all the world, lest she should offend this great being. She is of a wonderful sweetness, calmness, and universal benevolence of mind, especially after this great God has manifested himself to her mind. She will sometimes go about from place to place singing sweetly and seems to be always full of joy and pleasure. She loves to be alone walking in the fields and groves and seems to have someone invisible, always conversing with her. Can you just see that? This young lady on a walk talking to her best of friends, and yet she walks alone, and yet she doesn't, because she so delights in the living God. I wonder if God would want to draw some people to himself for the first time today. I wonder if he would stop all of us to say, do you love me like that? Not out of guilt. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation out of invitation. You dry, you lonely, you needing joy. Would you come? Would you come to me? I would fill your heart with pleasure, with what you've longed for. See, she was experiencing that. This psalmist was experiencing that. We've looked for it all in the wrong places. And it's, it's like this game of getting colder or getting warmer. You know, maybe we think, oh, if I could finally get that beautiful scene in my yard or finally the beautiful house, and we start moving our money and our attention and our efforts, and God's going colder, 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 colder. And we start thinking of him or her or just the family that we hope to have. Great gifts from God but they make terrible gods. And, and we start moving that way and God's going colder, 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 colder. And we start thinking of the job that we deserve in time we'll have and, and the money that would come with it and the opportunity. We start thinking of things and as we move that direction, God's going colder, colder, colder. And yet then our heart starts to mend back. Could it be in God, warmer, warmer? Could it be that relationship with God wasn't just something to begin years ago and then just hold off for forever when we go to heaven, warmer, warmer. Could it be that your soul was meant for the most intimate warmth and communion and delight and joy, warmer, warmer in the living God, day by day, warmer, warmer? This is what this guy was experiencing. He was moving towards God and his soul was filled with joy. I wonder if God is just calling Salt City from the very beginning of it to intimacy, to warmth, to an idolatry-free kind of church that has a passion for the living God. And see, this is where this guy was at. And he was longing to live in God's presence. Look at this, verse three, he's jealous of a bird. I'm not joking, look at this. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she places her young. Near your altars, Lord of hosts, my King and my God, how happy are those who reside in your house who praise you continuously. Why is he jealous of a bird? Because the bird got to build its nest right in the tabernacle. <laughs> He's like, man, that's where I want to be. That bird gets to be like, somehow it just fluttered in, set up a little nest, you know, right up there in the corner. And he's like, come on. They get to be right there. And then I think he's thinking of the priests, you know, these ones who, who are happy, who reside in your house. And he's like, oh, to be that person. Again, not enamored with the place, but the God who is in the place. He goes, how happy are those who reside in your house who praise you continually? Happy. Three times it's mentioned. This isn't some glib comment. This is what Tom Brady, right? Drew Carey, Anthony Hopkins. This is what these guys want. A true, settled soul. And he goes, here it is. How happy are those 
who reside in your house, who praise you continually. And then Selah, what's that mean? Selah, few different ideas on what it means. You know, if someone like runs out of a room on fire, there's normally three words that you're supposed to yell at that person. Do you know what they are? Stop, and then what's the next one? Drop, and then, yeah. So that's a good idea. You know, if you're a good friend, you'll say that. If you're a bad friend, you'll say, Keep running. This is hilarious. Wait, let me get my phone. Like, don't do that. Just say stop, drop, roll. That's the three. I'm telling you, as I looked at this word Selah, here's what I think it means. It can mean a few different things. You could put them together, though. I think that would be helpful. Stop. That's in there. It's just stop. Think about what you've just read. And then praise God. And it's like, after all of that, this guy has talked about where his true joy is found how he longs to be near God, and he says, stop. Stop and think about what I just said. Where are you finding your true joy? Where are you looking for pleasure? If you don't know, ask someone close to you. What do you give your time and money to? What do you hope, what do you get excited when you talk about? Just stop. And then give God the glory. He, he is drawing you to himself. He continues. Verse 5. And now we're talking about longing to get into God's presence. Now we see people moving towards that. It says, happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a source of spring water. Even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength each appears before God in Zion. Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Listen, God of Jacob. And then that word Selah again. Okay, what's going on here? When I first started studying this psalm, I just went, I have no idea what they're talking about. Like none. I was just clueless. I'm like, what is happening here? And I think the, the uncertainty is solved in a word in verse five. Look at it with me again. Happy are the people whose strength is in you whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. That's, I think, the key word, pilgrimage. Now, a, a, a pilgrim, someone's on a pilgrimage, they're, for a religious devotion they have, they're willing to leave one place and go to another, right? That's kind of a pilgrimage. And he's saying, those are the people who are happy, who, who are on a pilgrimage, where are they heading? And who are these people that would be heading on a pilgrimage towards God? Deuteronomy 16, 16, I think, gives us a clue. It'll be up on the screen here in just a second. It says of these males in that time, it says, all your males are to appear three times a year before the Lord your God in the place he chooses at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of booths. And then it says, no one is to appear before the Lord empty-handed. Okay, so there's this command in the Old Testament, all the males three times a year, wherever you're at, wherever you live, doesn't matter. You need to go to Jerusalem. You'll be a part of a party. It's going to be awesome. You'll love it. And we know from the rest of the scriptures, it wasn't just the males who went, though they were minimally commanded to go. Oftentimes, families came on up. So if you remember Jesus as a boy, as a 12-year-old, remember he got lost? Like, parents, you shouldn't feel bad if your kids get lost every now and again. They lost Jesus. You know, like, like Joseph and Mary, like seriously, you had one job. No. So this, remember, Jesus goes with um, his family and they're heading on up to a festival and they began looking for Jesus among relatives and friends. So, so when you headed to one of these festivals, it was like a whole family party. It was like the, 
the family camping trip. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said this, when they went to these festivals, families journeyed together, making bands which grew at each halting place. Like every time they got closer, like, hey, there's a cousins. Yeah, come on in. How have you guys been doing? And soon the party just gets bigger. They're all moving. Each stop, it's like, jump in. And this, this track, this whole movement of people's going. And, and, and Spurgeon goes, man, they camped in sunny glades. They sang in unison among the roads. They toiled together over the hill and through the slough. And as they went along, they stored up happy memories, which would never be forgotten. This is like the original family vacation. Okay, we're going up for a big party. So, so think of it in your mind. They're all, they're all journeying together, and they're all heading up to enjoy God. This is the highlight. It, it, it isn't Disney World. It isn't, you know, where could we go on vacation? Like, where can we fly to? Frequent flyer miles. Like, how do we get out of here and go? No, no, no. They are heading to a place where they would deeply enjoy the living God. This is where the family is heading, and, and he says, Blessed are those people who are heading towards God, who are heading towards that joyful place. And I would just stop, let this text kind of turn itself on you. I'll stop talking for a second and let me ask you, where are you heading? And where are you pulling people to? The ones that are following your leadership. And let me just speak to the men, for example. You are leading your families, those of you who have a wife, who have children, you are leading. The question is not whether you will lead, it's only where are you currently leading them. There is no question as to whether or not you're the leader. The only question is where are you leading them? Just stop for a second, see these guys on pilgrimage, set in their hearts to enjoy the living God, pulling people with them as they go, happy because they've got it right, leading people to the enjoyment of living God. And just stop for a second, pause, stop, drop, roll, pause to think about that. And let me ask just, where are you heading? Where are you taking people? Some of you gals are like, it's not my job, he didn't say me. Yeah. No, I, now you. Where are you leading people with your influence? God's given us different measures of influence. Different, different ways in which we're affecting people around us. Little kids following us, friends. We're lighting it up all the, all the time, telling them what's valuable, what's worth giving your life to. Where are you leading people? Is it short of the enjoyment and the blessedness of the living God? This guy says, you want to be happy. Those people are happy. Drew Carey's like, I don't know where. I don't know where to find it. I'm at the top of the tree. This is nonsense. I've climbed the tree. It's a lie. The sooner you get there, the quicker you will see God for who he is. Well, these guys are heading towards the enjoyment of the living God, but the psalm goes a little further. Now it talks about the joy of actually experiencing God's presence. Look with me at verse 9. The psalmist ends with, consider our shield, God. This is, a, I think, a prayer for the king at the time. Consider our shield, God. Look on the face of your anointed one. So he prays for the leader in his life, the leader of Israel. But look at this. Better a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be at the door of the house of my God than to live in the tents of wicked people. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace 
and glory. He does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. And then look at this word, happy for the third time in the psalm. Happy is the person who trusts in you, Lord of hosts. I love that phrase, verse 10, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. If I could just have one day with God, it'd be better than a thousand other ones I could dream up. I disagree. I just find myself thinking, nah, you know what? Actually, if I had a day, <laughs> but here's probably what I'd do with it. Don't you? Don't you think if you, if you had, okay. I mean, a day with God would be awesome, but better than a thousand of things I could come up with? I mean, come on, there's great vacations to take. There's some place, Google image it, figure it out. Like, if you could go anywhere you wanted to, where would it be? I can think of a lot of things. You're like, Disney. You know, I don't know where you would go. The time of the year you'd go. What you dream about. I know what I dream about. This guy's saying, actually, we just cut through it. Better is one day. One day in the presence of God than a thousand elsewhere. My son's traveling with me. Uh, several Salt Company staff from a couple different of our network churches are jumped in the Honda Civic, bottomed it out. But we're, we're driving down the road. And, you know, when my son was small, I, had not, I don't remember ages that well. He was about that old. Um, <laughs> we were traveling across country um, to the state of Nevada where um, some, several of our family lived. And I lived a number of years there. There are casinos, as you know, Vegas, Reno, all that stuff everywhere. And they're great for cheap food. I mean, you don't have to waste your money on slot machines. They're just great for cheap food. Well, there was a Starbucks in this casino and I was heading into um, because Starbucks is Starbucks. So I'm, I'm heading in there. And let me just hit pause to say this, that around that time in my kids' lives, I was reading a book to them called Dangerous Journey. And it's like the kids' version of Pilgrim's Progress, where this guy named Christian's carrying this heavy burden on his back, and it represents sin. He needs it forgiven. But then he's pursuing, he's on his way to heaven, but he's going through all these trials. It's a very illustrative book. And in the book, there's this one scene where there's this guy trying to lure him off the path. Come here. Come here, Christian. Follow me. His name's Demas. If that name means anything for you, you'll find him in the, towards the end of your Bible. Demas, who loved this world, who loved money. And, and so in this book, this guy's trying to, to welcome him, and then he'll fall down a shaft to his death, Demas will. But at this time, he's trying to tempt him and lure him. And this picture vivid in my son's mind. Well, all that just by way of like friendly nighttime reading. Good night. <laughs> you know, uh, people parent differently than me, and I respect that. But listen... <laughs> We go into this casino, right? And I'm on my way to Starbucks, and Josiah is with me. And uh, he just stops. Like, we were just in there a little ways, and he just stops. He looks around, and it's cool. It's air-conditioned. Lights are everywhere. It's like a carnival. Lights flashing on machines. People filled in this place. Tons of people, especially older people, sitting there, wasting their lives. Lights flashing, the sound, the sound of coins, money falling out of machines, hitting those tin can just bases that they have the machines to make it all the louder, to echo in there. So lights and people everywhere, swinging machines, free money, falling out of machines everywhere all around him. He's standing there and he goes, dad, 
I want to live here for the rest of my life. No joke. And I leaned down to him and I said, this is where Demas lives. And he was like, and you may parent differently. I'm not, I, I question a lot of things I did, but now I'm on the other side of it. So somehow I escaped jail. Um, no, but some, they could have one day. You just see what's in their heart. And this guy's like, you give me everything I want, everything I want, it's wrapped up in who God is. I have found that the thought of being with him for one day would be better than a thousand elsewhere. And he goes on, the Lord God is a sun and shield. Think of pilgrims, they would need sun and good weather to head there. Think of a shield, they would need protection to be towards God. He is saying that that is the place of joy. And here's what's crazy to me. As I zoom out of this text, as I, as I place Psalm 84 in the greater scriptures, okay? So I came on up, I had my map out, right? You know, you're on your phone, you're trying to find your way here. You know how you can kind of hit the minus sign, like the zoom out button, and, and, and you keep hitting that, and you're like, you know, like you're, you're zooming out. I want to zoom out with you for just a second from Psalm 84. Because in Psalm 84, the guy wanted so badly to be in the presence of God. But as you zoom out a little bit in the scriptures, here's what's so cool. God's presence did come to live among people. Listen to what John 1.14 says. The word, meaning Jesus, the word became flesh and took up residence among us. The verb is literally tabernacled among us. Jesus Christ becomes flesh and it's like God himself stretched canvas of a tabernacle over him. He came and lived among us, and we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So now you don't have to worry, in a sense, that you never saw the tabernacle because Jesus Christ comes, and Jesus Christ is God in human flesh, tabernacled among us, the tent's moving now, now the tent's talking, God himself comes. He says to women who had been married five times, a woman that, that, that now was with a guy who wasn't yet her husband said, I have living water. Your soul is so thirsty and you keep thinking men will satisfy you. Come to me, drink and be satisfied. He spoke to one person after another and said, oh, you want one day in the presence of God? Here I am. You're in his presence. The word of God comes. Jesus Christ himself comes in tabernacles among us. But here's the problem. All of us missed it. Everyone in this room. Sorry, we weren't there for that unique three and a half years of Jesus' life where his ministry was public. But here's the beautiful part. Keep zooming out for a second. Keep zooming out in the Bible because God wasn't content just to visit the earth at one point and go, sorry, the rest of you. No, no, no. Now God comes to live not just with his people, in his people. Check this out. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary and that the spirit of God lives in you? Listen to what God is saying. Don't you know that now you're the tabernacle, you're the temple, and get this, God's holy of holies, it's you. 
His spirit comes to live in us. This is reality for us. I was talking to a guy recently. He is heartbroken, heartbroken over a recent breakup. And after what I went through with a breakup my freshman year, I will never belittle the kind of pain that you go through. I'm telling you, I've gone through my parents divorcing. I've gone through the death of my father-in-law and hero in the faith, but nothing tore at me, caused me to have blinding tears for longer in my life than when I had a breakup. It went on for weeks. I walked around like the shell of a man. Every country song made sense to me. (laughs) I'm not joking. I was like, I get it now. Everything. But this guy says this, this gentleman who went through this breakup. But you know, in the midst of losing someone in relationship, God is with me. He'll never leave me. And here's the point. Now God's spirit comes to live in us, to satisfy us in a way that I'm telling you is so amazing and so beautiful and so rich. God was not content to stay away or just to be in a tabernacle or just to visit his people at one time for a few years in a public ministry. No, he comes to live inside us, but it gets better. Because as we look forward, zoom out now, and now we're zooming out to what is right in front of us if you know Jesus as Savior. God's himself will soon be with his people. Listen to Revelation, some of the closing verses in all the Bible. Revelation 21 says this, I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling place is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Make no mistake, the greatest part about heaven is not what is in heaven, but who is in heaven. None of us will go running past Jesus and jump into a pile of gold. None of us is going to go running past Jesus for some heavenly mansion. None of us is going to go running past Jesus to find some loved one, someone who we cannot wait to be reunited with. No, no, no. The flaming center of heaven, the center of of all joy, and what your heart most needs, though you don't yet even know it, is Jesus himself. And God, our God, will soon be with us. See this temple that this guy longed to experience God in. Oh, if I could just be there. Oh, I'm jealous of a stupid bird that gets a nest close. God with us will bring us home, and we will soon be with him. Years and years ago, Augustine said, our souls will be restless until they find their rest in you. Is your soul restless? You just look unstable, always reaching, always grabbing, colder, colder, colder. Augustine says, it's going to be like that until you find your rest in God. Jonathan Edwards, the guy who looked at that 13-year-old, went on to write this. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is better, infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. He, he says about here, fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, these, these are but shadows, but God is the substance. 
These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the ocean. And this morning, God just welcomes you close. If you're a doer and you want to do something about this passage, I have nothing to tell you to do other than maybe this. Come to your senses. Hear that God is saying, I am better than anything you could be giving yourself to. Just come to me. Stop slurping water out of that mud puddle. I'm a spring of water and I would satisfy your soul. Stop working so hard. Stop thinking you'll get yourself to heaven and stop thinking for a moment that I'll be happy only if you read your Bible tomorrow morning. I have satisfied my own desire for justice. I love you. Come to me and enjoy me. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for Salt City. And I thank you for every man and woman that's here this morning. God, you are the source of all joy and all pleasure. You're not needing anyone. You didn't make a world because you're a lonely grandpa God who needed friends. You are infinitely happy, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet now you pull us into the God family, sons and daughters, you make us through Christ and you invite us to enjoy you. God, I pray that we would happily repent from our idolatry. I pray that we would flee from our piles of gold like Demas, I pray that we would see it for what it is, that we would hear from even secular people in our culture who say, I'm at the top of the tree. It's empty. There is nothing. This is a joke. It's all a lie. I pray that, God, we would come to our senses, find our greatest joy in you, and that every man and woman, even boy and girl in this place, would give their life to finding pleasure in you and then extend that invitation of joy to so many people in these cities that desperately need you, need to stop working, need to find you. I ask this humbly in your name. Amen.